Hey, Donnie here. I wanted to tell you about Champions 90. Champions 90 isn't a workout routine or a fitness routine. This is about you transforming your life mentally, giving yourself an upgrade while you build to business freedom. Champions 90 is about you getting quiet with your thoughts, staying focused on building your business, and getting you to freedom. Come join the challenge at champions90.com. Be very open about your affection and your love because it might be the last time you see that person. Hey guys, it's Donnie here, and I just want to let you know that we've recently launched a content development company, and this company helps people get social content. You know you need to put out a lot of content nowadays to get engagement out there in all your social platforms, but we've come up with a really cool way to help you get videos, blog posts, memes, social posters, and infographics for you know, whatever social site you need. So check us out at successchamps.us and learn more about how you can get social content for your social media. Support for this podcast comes from Point Blank Safety Services and Blue Family Fund. Blue Family Fund, helping dependents of law enforcement families on their journeys. Blue Family Fund is a nonprofit that raises funds and offers financial support through higher education scholarships for dependents of law enforcement officers and by providing financial assistance for families of fallen law enforcement officers. Every dollar donated will go to the families of police officers, either through scholarships to dependents of police officers or as aid to fallen officers' families. Visit us at bluefamilyfund.com. You're listening to Donnie Success Champions, where I believe Everybody is on a journey. Life is all about the stories you can tell and teach later. You're going to hear the stories of people who have overcome hardships, failures, and life to find success along their journey. All right, guys, this is going to be a, a really, really, really good show with Josh Koshner. But I will forewarn you, we're going to talk about the dark times he's went through during the wars in the sandbox and some of the things we get through. But And we'll talk a lot about how he handled you know, his demons on that journey. But then we get to talk about what he's doing with it and the things he's doing that are massively impacting the world. So I think you really enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. All right, guys, this is going to be another fun episode. I'm bringing in Josh Costner, man, so I'm looking forward to this one. I'm Donnie Bovine. This is Donnie Success Champions. Josh, welcome to the show, my friend. I can't even talk today. <laughs> Tell me your story, brother. <laughs> uh, well, first off, we all need plenty of coffee to operate, I think, so. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Now, I guess as psychiatrists and psychologists would say, let's start with your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me get the couch out. Here we go. <laughs> get the couch out. Let's get the, some some nat, some uh, some uh, tissues and <laughs> uh, let's, let's wind the clock back a few years. Man, where do we begin? I guess you could say I grew up in a pretty standard family as far as how we functioned in the community. Dad, mom, good looked up people. You know, people looked up to them. They're in the in the neighborhood, uh, 
my brother and sister and I, we had a lot of fun playing with the kids in whatever neighborhood we lived in. It was a unique experience growing up because my father actually did counterintelligence and counterterrorism around the world. Oh, so wow. he, he was not home a whole lot. But when he was, he had some cool stories to tell, what he could talk about, which I'm sure was probably very little <laughs> <laughs> given his security clearance. Right, right. But grew up for several years in the San Francisco Bay in California. His dad was stationed. He had an office on the USS Enterprise. But after being out there for several years and growing to love the beach and hang out with my friends, uh, dad decided that being away for six to eight months at a time was just not feasible to raise a family. So he switched to DIS from NIS and started doing the same thing, but stateside. So we started moving probably about every six to eight months. They moved us uh, for whatever reasons. I have no clue. But I got to see a lot of scenery growing up. I got to experience a lot of cool things that most kids don't get to experience. It was really fun. I look back at my childhood, and there was a lot more positive memories than negative memories. Now, the negative side of things was that, you know, while we got to experience so many cool things, I guess the friction of it all created a lot of drama for mom and dad. They fought a lot. And not necessarily in front of us kids, but you would hear them in the bedroom just, I mean, yelling at the top of their lungs constantly. And it added kind of a tense tone at times. But on the flip side of that coin, they always encouraged us to be very loving and kind towards each other as far as siblings go. To constantly say, I love you. You pass your sibling in the hallway, you give them a hug. Because this might be the last time you ever see them alive. They could walk out the front door and a car could careen off the road and wipe them out. That was really ingrained in us from a very young age. Be very open about your affection and your love because it might be the last time you see that person. Fast forward a few years, get past the awkward teenage years, which were horrendously god-awful just because, well, you know, awkward teenage years. <laughs> I well, thought I, I mean, if you're walking through the hallway of school and you're hugging your sister and telling you love her, I'm sure it didn't go very well. Yeah, well, you know, that's the, <laughs> oh, God, they're, you can tell they're from Arkansas. <laughs> uh, it's not like that, guys. <laughs> no, we got a uh, dad actually ended up losing his job as DIS was folded and axed and done away with. So dad and several other, I guess, several hundred other agents got the axe. And it created some, some even more tense times in our house, which eventually led to mom and dad splitting. So we go from you know, living in a, you know, awesome houses and constantly having cool things to mom and dad split. Us kids stayed with mom for the time being, and it went to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly. Mom was pretty depressed. Basically, we went straight into living in poverty in a mobile home with holes in the floor, didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Freedom to cuss on the oh, show? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fire away. <laughs> I was just say, the shit got dark really, really quick. So it was uh, it was a really, really rough time for us, those, uh, those last few years of the teenage years. So, yeah, it, it had always, always been a family tradition, and this goes back to the early 1800s. Every generation serves in the military. Pick your branch. That doesn't matter. What matters is that you serve your country. So that was very also, it's also very deeply ingrained in us. So I looked at my brother and I thought, 
God love him. He's not going to do it. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to step in and I'm going to do it. So I went, I actually funny story. I went to join the air force and they were out to lunch. <laughs> so don't you wish I, they weren't <laughs> I, I just looked behind me and there's the army recruiting office and the uh, recruiting nco sitting there he looked at me he motioned me in the door and he said what you looking for and so i'm looking for an opportunity to serve my country so joined the army and literally and you didn't see the uniforms or anything and go you know maybe not so much uh, it, it, it was it was a deterrent in some ways, but I thought, you know what? I, it wasn't I, the Navy Cracker Jack hat, so I get it. Yeah. Like, dear God, at least it's not Navy. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's not Coast Guard. Dear God. Yes. No, it's a, <laughs> I love my brothers and sisters in the Navy. <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally signed up, took the oath, and we were on our way. I was actually riding in a van down to basic training when the Twin Towers were hit. Mm. And that was a huge wake-up call because I thought, ah, you know, I'm going to go in and serve about four years, come out, figure out what else I want to do with life, and shit hit the fan quickly. Nice. I, I get it, man. I mean, even for me, dude, you know, I went in in 95, got out in 99, and my four years was Clinton era, you know, yeah. so I had, I wasn't the patriotic guy that signed up to serve my country type thing. I just didn't know what the hell I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, and ended up in the Marine Corps. But even for me, when the towers went down, I got a, you know, reserve call to standby because I was still on my inactive, whatever the hell it's called. Right. And dude, that's a butthole pucker moment because, you know, Shit's getting a lot realer than you anticipated. Oh, yeah. They uh, they accelerated our training program quite heavily at Fort Benning, and <laughs> they pushed all of us very, very, very hard to join the Rangers. <laughs> uh, I told us, look, my best friend just joined like a year ahead of me. He's in the Ranger program. I was like, ah, that's not you – know, I'm not wanting to make a career out of it. If I was, absolutely. And I was, of course, growing <laughs> up with a father who was very proficient with weapons. I became very proficient with weapons. So, you know, qualification day at the range, me and a few of the guys from the south, <laughs> we definitely turned some heads. And we ended up with, I ended up with three separate recommendations to go through the sniper program. Told them once again, it's, it's not a career I want to make. If it was, I would jump all over it. It's a great opportunity but just not for me right now. So they were like, you piece of shit. Why don't you take the opportunity? <laughs> I can so hear you too. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Costner? Well, you know. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, but I got out and the, the irony of it being, I actually ended up serving under either Rangers, Sappers, or some unique special branch. <laughs> At one point, I actually got to uh, do some room and board with the British Special Forces. Those guys are insane. I'm just going to go ahead and play that out there. God love them. They're insane. And I was a little jealous because they had their own dirt bikes. Right? Where was my military-issued dirt? And I was a motor team mechanic, you know. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> give me one bike to break. I mean, to work on. <laughs> Probably uh, one of the most exciting moments, well, God, there were so many exciting moments overseas when we landed in the sandbox. I can remember on one specific occurrence, uh, 
during uh oh how can I say this uh fulfilling some obligations we got to cross paths uh, cross paths with the seals and I immediately started drooling at the toys they got to play with <laughs> and I was so jealous I looked at my platoon sergeant and I said <laughs> what in the freaking hell man why don't I get something fun to play with? He's like, shut up. Just don't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> don't even look their way, Costner. You're not worthy. <laughs> you can't play with the cool kids. <laughs> he's like, you're the reason we can't have nice things. <laughs> Just because I like to push the limits on things. I did take a 916 a Freightliner semi-truck airborne twice. That's impressive. I didn't even know they could do that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it also helps when there's just a sudden four-foot drop-off that you don't see. <laughs> and, Why and, is so much of a flying motion as a falling motion? At <laughs> <laughs> 60 miles an hour, it just kind of comes up all of a sudden. <laughs> but shit got pretty nasty over there. There was, you know, with uh, with any combat veteran, you see things that's, that definitely stick with you for life. A lot of people, as soon as they got back, they immediately asked, what was it like over there? And I, you, you just – freshly out of the sandbox, you just want to punch somebody for that question. <laughs> it's like, right. well, let's see. It was prime vacation spot, taking the family there next year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I got the beach towel and the coffee mug to go with it. I mean <laughs> – <laughs> To this day, veterans I can talk – you know, I, I can – I feel comfortable talking about it with right. the civilians who ask questions. I'm like, I, I can't even find a way to, to, to describe it. You know, what's the most horrific thing you've seen in a movie times 10 times a hundred and their minds, they shouldn't ask because in, it's ignorance is bliss in that situation. Oh yeah. 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 They, they, I really don't think, you know, I, even family members, I have, there's no way they could ever wrap their mind around it. And if I tried to explain it to them, I'm afraid they'd probably just short circuit. Right. Uh, Cause they just, you know, the horrors of war, they just, they can really take you to a dark place if you let them. They really can. It's, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you walk into places and you see the aftermath of, of insurgents that just walked through a place and decided to, you know, take a lot of people out, men, women, kids, doesn't matter. And you get stuff that sticks with you for a while. And you tend to find some, uh, well, for us soldiers, I think we tend to gravitate towards the unhealthy coping mechanisms. Escapisms. <laughs> Escapism, yeah. It wasn't so much coping as it was, how can I drown this memory out? Right, right. Can I fully crawl all the way into this bottle, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my last year at Fort Hood, Texas – I am pretty positive that I woke up. If I recall, once again, I don't recall much of that year because I stayed blasted the whole time. How I even functioned holding down an E6 job as an E4 fixing the E5s blew my mind. But I would wake up in the morning, you know, for 4 a.m., <laughs> 4 a.m. roll call, and I'd be up at 3.30 taking shots of Crown just to start my day. And so I can see now the therapists and psychologists out there listening to this are, oh, God, get the notepad, write down some notes real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, guys. I And I want the people to understand that uh, if we listen to it, dude, we got to laugh at this shit, yeah. right? I mean, if, if we don't laugh at it, then it, there's no way to cope with it. 
right? Yeah, mm -hmm. humor, you know, that, and that's what I love about, I don't know if you know Chris White, but he founded Freedom Hard, mm. uh, freedomhard.com. I think his screen name is Chris Blanco. Mm -hmm. You were watching the Astros game back around July 27th. He's the one that streaked across the field in his yeah. American flag silkies. Yeah. I love what Chris is doing. You know, he, he helps soldiers approach PTSD with laughter. We, you know, he helps generate that whole thing. Because if you can't find a way to laugh at it, it will drive you crazy. It really will. <laughs> It'll drive you to some exceedingly dark places. It, it almost took me out a couple of times with trying to drown it out with alcohol. You know, I had some dark times coming out. Probably the, the two years after I left the military were just a total blur just because I, I did not. I was angry. I was angry at unnecessary loss of life, unnecessary this and that that I saw. And I just I literally tried to drink as much as I possibly could, which resulted in a very high tolerance, which resulted in blowing a lot of money. God, a lot of money. I really look back and thought, Damn, you know, if I had stuck all that in a savings account, <laughs> well, in this day and age, you'd, you'd only made a dollar on it, no matter how much in the savings account. But if you'd invested it in some other vehicles, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't think people really will ever be able to fathom the heavy load that what you have to do in combat can do to you to keep a country safe, to keep people safe. And they really don't need to know. It's dark. And people want to get all bent the hell out of shape over whatever they want to debate over their waterboarding or whatever it is they want to debate over. If you haven't been there to find that which could destroy your country, I mean, you're going to go up against monsters. I'll just put it that way. The people that hate freedom, that hate liberty, that hate everything we stand for, they're monsters. They, in my humble opinion, they've signed away their their uh, their humanity because they're out to eradicate and destroy a large chunk of humanity just because of what we stand for. So to to hunt a monster, to eradicate a monster, you have to become that monster's worst nightmare. And in becoming that... There's a part of you. How can I? How can I correlate this uh, to something? That's, uh, a corollary. Okay, let's say you become a werewolf. <laughs> so by day, in the normal parts of town, you're walking around your community. You're a normal guy, but inside of you is that monster brewing, and at the right moment, it's ready to come out, and it will completely devastate anything that gets in its path, especially that threatens its territory and what it loves. So I guess that's the, the closest thing I could equate it to. That's a good correlation there, brother. Jeez. Uh, so in your homeland, when your people are threatened, the werewolf will come out and there's nothing that can stop that werewolf. But you can't talk about being a werewolf. You can't let people know you're a werewolf or you get run out of town. Right. And I think that is why we see a lot of veterans struggle they thrived being a werewolf, and now that they can't be back stateside, the inner beast eats at them until it eats them whole, and they're gone. You have to find a way to let that beast out from time to time. I don't care if it's going to the range. I don't care if it's locking yourself in your room for an hour to unleash on Call of Duty. <laughs> Whatever it is that helps you get that beast tamed down or just feed. Feed the beast a little bit to keep them at bay. 
And it's interesting. I love that idea because, you know, there's there, I've had Robert Caldell on. And he does it through yoga, meditation and bells. I've had, you know, other guys on that, that do it through weed. I've, I mean, I've got guys that do it through, you know, mindfulness. I mean, so f- for me, I don't give a shit how you do it. I love the idea of feeding the werewolf because, you know, I don't think anybody will ever come to terms with it. Right. I don't think anybody will ever understand it. But you have to find a release or the beast will unleash, and that's when shit gets dark. Yeah. For myself, for a straight decade now, I've been going, for the most part, every month to speak to a VA counselor. It's a good, safe place to go unleash, if you will. Right. So I highly recommend that. And I know a lot of people are very skeptical of that, especially our society, the way – especially the old school guys. You know, if you can't handle your shit, there's something wrong with you. Right. Well, I beg to differ. There are some things that the human mind just was not designed to hold or keep in. So you'll you'll need to release some stuff from time to time. And the old school guys ended up in the VFW halls and everything else. So they were just drowning their shit and oh, yeah. stuffing cigarettes in their mouth. So that's the escapisms. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Uh, still to this day. If I'm going to eat a steak, I'm going to probably have a glass of wine or a, you know, a, a small shot of whiskey with it. But it's about understanding the healthiest way for you to release that. Absolutely. Uh, uh, otherwise, like I said, that werewolf will turn on you. <laughs> turn on yourself. But, you know, coming out of that and finally realizing that I needed help and reaching out for it, I saw so many instances where – loss could have been avoided personal disasters could have been avoided and i thought man there's got to be a way there's got to be a way to expound upon that to learn to become a master of that to implement it and help others implement it as well so i began a journey of just not only self-discovery but finding a way that i could make a positive impact in the world and help people protect themselves in a variety of ways and so i eventually ended up going to Arkansas State University and they a couple of years ago they launched the first ever bachelor's master's doctorate sequence program in emergency management and disaster preparedness. So I started enrolling in classes and just doing some part-time stuff. I've been doing a lot of specific field a field specific training on disaster prevention through FEMA and it, I found that more than anything we need to build resiliency in our communities against disasters, whether it be natural disasters, man-made disasters. My specific focus at this point in my life is natural disasters. And so becoming a natural disaster mitigation expert or prevention expert, my studies have pretty much taken me down the road of how can I educate people in preventing unnecessary loss in their business uh, business, company, and schools primarily. And that's really where my primary focus has been the past few years. Currently writing a book on the subject. Uh, if fall goes well, it looks like it'll be ready for e-publishing by the first of the year. Hardback publishing coming a couple months after that. So I'm very excited about it. Dude, that's awesome. So you took a little while, like most do, to figure your shit out. Yeah, several uh, years. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of y'all are slow learners, right? <laughs> that's true, yeah. Army ain't ready for Marines yet. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, Marines, we're just meat shields. I think that's how the, the, the slogan goes, right? But, you know, 
as you've done this, you know, you've come to terms with, with the shit you've been through. I won't say that you've handled it, but you figured it out somewhat. But, you know, and now you're taking probably a lot of those same skill sets that you deployed while serving are now serving you, but in a cool capacity. And here's what I love about this is a lot of guys don't want to do the college thing. I didn't do the college thing when I got out because I just knew I'm not a guy that can that can handle book learning. I've just never been that way. So fucking kudos to be able to go through and have this nasty to go through that. That's discipline as hell. I'm taking it slow. You know what? But but the mere fact that you're giving it a go to me, I mean, because I'm not a colleague. I mean, I, I don't believe in education. I think the school of hard knocks is the best teacher in the world. But but I, I respect the fact that you're putting yourself through it. So so good on you. Disaster recovery or resilience, as you put it, is that's that's a tough gig, dude. You know, because you are almost in a sense putting yourself back into a position to experience some of the shit you've seen in the past through going to these you know, after the hurricanes or going after massive storms or, or, you know, huge fires like it's going on in California right now and those type of things, right. you're in a sense putting yourself back in a position to, to go see that kind of stuff. That's a ballsy move, man. You know, I honestly believe this does not apply to everyone. Absolutely not. But for myself, I have found, and I've spoken with this at great length with my counselor in the VA, Exposure therapy has been the best for me. Mm. Revisiting that which was most traumatic time and time again has allowed me to face it and be able to stay calm in the worst of situations. Mm. And for me to be able to work towards mastering that, that has been a huge goal of mine. And while it has not been easy, it has been very challenging. But I am to this day never giving up, never surrendering, consistently going to push towards doing everything I can to make unnecessary loss through natural disaster. It's my vision that our society reaches a point where natural disaster has a negligible impact on our daily life. Now, I don't expect to see that goal reached in my lifetime, but I will be the planter of the seeds of change for that to happen for future generations. Wow. I mean, that's a bold uh, statement, you know, that ranks up there with we're going to put somebody on the moon, in, in my opinion, because you, you I mean, that's that's a tall order you're asking. You know, how do you think that's even possible to do? Because, you know, we're not in Harry Potter world where you can just wave a magic wand and change the minds right. of millions of people. Right. I, I mean, it's the belief aspect of society right now, the current perspective that most people have is, well, that's not going to happen to me. Right. I have hundreds of case studies and I have all the data to back up that it absolutely will happen to you in the next 20 years. It will. Everyone in the next 20 years, statistically, is going to be affected by a natural disaster in some way, shape, or form. As of right now, just under a quarter for example, just under 25% of businesses have any kind of disaster preparedness plan in place. And most of those don't even go back and review it. 40% of small businesses, especially 500 employees and less, 40% of those that experience natural disasters close their doors within a year afterwards. 
Wow. That's a big number. I mean, I don't know. As a, as a business owner, entrepreneur, you know, for my company, I'm used to putting out fires, right? Meaning, you know, problems in the company and, and things that pop up. And I guarantee most business owners think like I do that, you know, I'll just cross that bridge if it ever happens. Because most times it's, you know, let something blow up and, oh, shit, I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, and you're suggesting, <laughs> which is smart, that you shouldn't think that way. But, you know, what are some of the things that a business owner can do to prepare for worst case scenario? And it, I'm assuming worst case scenario, you're talking, you know, their building's taken out by a tornado or fire or tornado, fire, flood, flood primarily. Right. What you're looking for is for your business to be resilient and for it to thrive in a worst-case scenario. And that is what we call continuity in this realm. We call it resilience basically is looked at as continuity. You want resilience through continuity, continuity through mitigation. So you look at, you know, a business, say, let's say a business is in Tornado Alley, Twister Alley. You'd have to start first with the historical, We, you know, like if I'm doing any kind of mitigation plan for anyone, I'll go back and look at the historical events that took place for the past, say, 75 to 100 years in that region and track every major event to figure out just how close have the storms come to this particular point that the owner is worried about. And you factor in all the various risks or hazards in their immediate area. And basically that gives you kind of a percentage of what the likelihood of it is happening again. But we're seeing a change in natural disasters. We're seeing an increase in destructive weather patterns. So our modeling is now having to change. We're having to factor in the fact that, well, I believe it was up in New Jersey, in the past five years, they've had two 100-year floods, what FEMA determines you know, FEMA has this, this scale. You have five-year events, 10-year events, 50-year events, 100-year events, basically. And so within a, a, an under a five-year period, one specific area has had two 100-year events, which shouldn't have happened, according to FEMA's scale, more than once or more than twice in 200 years. So we're seeing more and more of this occur. So our modeling is having to change. We're having to factor that in. So the likelihood of natural disasters is increasing, and business owners are going to have to basically put in mitigation plans. Let's say a building gets wiped out by a tornado, but you don't want your business to fail. First off, you got to have your monetary funds set back to handle continued payroll, continued operating expenses, so on and so forth. To get you through that time while you rebuild, you also need community partnerships. Vital, so vital in this aspect. Community partnerships that say your studio got wiped out, but you had a community partnership contract with two other companies in town that states if your place is eliminated, you have a space there. You can go and start tomorrow with backup, done backup systems and start fresh right there. And still continue. And I get that for a company like me. I mean, my company, I can literally pick up and move anywhere. I carry my business around in a satchel, right? So my business is really easy to up and move. Right. But let's say we go to where I was doing commercial printing 
and we had iron on the floor. And what I mean by iron on the floor, you had a hundred foot presses, mm-hmm. you know, that, that were tons of weight yep. on a shop floor. Then you had folders and you had, you know, just, I mean, millions of dollars in equipment mm-hmm. sitting on the, uh, the tens of millions of dollars of equipment sitting on the shop floor. And a, a flood comes through and takes out a manufacturing plant like that. You know, there's no just picking it up and moving it to another company, right? There's there's no, no, you know, if the presses aren't running in a print room, then the business is not running. Right. You know, so what would you tell somebody? How do, how do you prepare for that catastrophic loss if you're sitting in a situation of, you know, my business is dependent on tens of millions of dollars of equipment that is now wiped out by, you know, some sort of natural disaster. Well, if the disaster has already struck, the time to prepare is past. Absolutely. So I'm on the mitigation side of it. On the mitigation side, if a company is wanting to prepare and they're like, man, worst case scenario, what do we do? Well, once again, you still need to establish those community partnerships that will allow you to do what you can from another location. You might not be able to operate at full capacity. You might have to find an alternate way to keep some semblance of operations going, but you don't want to completely stop your operations for any substantial length of time because then it's just every single day that passes that you're completely stopped, you move closer and closer to that 40% that completely close their doors after a loss. So, uh, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Do you recommend companies put, I mean, a one, I'm assuming companies are hiring your company out to come in and help with the mitigation side of things, but do you recommend that they put somebody in charge of that process to help you and your company build the mitigation plan? And, you know, cause I'm thinking it's like you do the HIPAA compliance and those type of things, or you do the OSHA compliance and those mm-hmm. type of things. There's usually a person in that company that gets designated as this is your role to make sure right. we're compliant. Do you recommend doing like the same thing inside of companies? I do. I yeah. really do. It's something that it needs to be taken seriously. And while a lot of people are like, well, I can't afford that. Well, mm-hmm. But can you afford not to in the long run? It's, you know, do you want to gamble? And and the gamble may work out. You may, your business may never get hit. But once again, what's the old saying? Better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Right? <laughs> you know, because it's interesting. You know, everybody you know, has car insurance. They have homeowner's insurance, right? They have those things. And you always got two choices with those. You can go with the minimal coverage, mm-hmm. and all that does is – let's go with just a car. You get the minimum coverage. You're just saying you'll fix the other person's car, right? Yeah. You, you don't care that you can't get to work anymore or anything else. If yours is gone, you take care of the other person's car, right? The other flip side of that is you get the maximum coverage, and nobody understands all the different insurances. I don't even think insurance people understand all the different insurances. <laughs> you know, you can go very quickly from, you know, a hundred dollar a month premium to a five hundred dollar a month premium, and insurance is one of those things you're like, man, you got to have it because if something happens, you got to have it. Yeah. But the same token, the insurance companies don't want a catastrophic thing to happen because that's then they lose all their money because now they got to fund all of that back. They got to pay out. Yep. You know, so it's, you're always in this game of how much is enough, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because I may 
in 20 years have a catastrophic hit to the business, you know, but I may not. So, so how much is enough? How do you determine what, how much is enough? I mean, that's, that's, that's math. (laughs) That that is math. And that's a lot of it is really left up to the owner or the founder or the board. How much do they want to prepare for now? If it's a company that's building a new structure, I can guide them to the people that can build them a structure that will withstand almost anything mother nature throws at it. And you would be surprised. We've had the technology for years to do this and it's, very, very, very negligible on the increase up front to build a disaster resistant structure. Well, Home, business, whatever. Now, existing structures, there's not a whole heck of a lot you can do about that. But if it's a new structure, you can invest up front and make sure that you're going to be pretty safe. Well, I mean, that's interesting because you go through like an old downtown big city. Mm-hmm. And you have these gorgeous buildings that are hand carved. I mean, you actually had masons that went in and just did beautiful work on buildings. Yes. Nowadays, everything's done in these glass structures and everything else, and they're just not as ornate as they would were back in the day. Right. And more and more, you're getting these industrial parks and everything else that are built out of these just metal structures. Mm-hmm. And you lost that, that craftsman side of things where people built things to last forever. Yes. You know, so it's I hear you on one hand saying that it doesn't cost that much more to build these these structures that will withstand the elements and the weather and all that else. But in the same token, I know people aren't investing for the long haul or they wouldn't be building these type of buildings. How are you convincing people that they've got to invest to to be around for a while? I mean, because. Once again, as a business owner, you really have to diversify how your funds are being managed in your business. Mm-hmm. And man, how much do I chip off for marketing? How much do I chip off for operations? How much do I chip off? And now you're telling me I got to chip off for mitigation. You know, it's a delicate balance. And quite honestly, I could bring every case study I have. I could bring all the proof in the world and I could sit down in front of every single person in this country and have no problem proving to them what is the better choice. That's not the problem. The problem is, are they going to let go of their belief system? And right now the math, the math adds up to about 5% of the population will let go of the old belief system. That's about it right now. So what are you doing to change that belief systems besides doing things like coming on podcasts like this and and sharing (laughs) your your story? How are you going big and loud and telling the world that, that they've got to wake up right now? I've been reaching out to a few companies that actually have the science and the brilliant minds behind these types of structures. And I'm gathering data to finish out the book with. Once the book is finished and out there, that will be one thing that people can say, hey, look, you know, here's this book, The Mitigation Mindset. Pick it up, read it, and it gives multiple case studies of a life with no mitigation, a life with mitigation. What's the potential future? What's the cost? How can you implement it in your own home? You know, so you've got all these different aspects people can look at and say, wow, I never thought of that before. So hopefully that'll be. That's going to be one of the seeds of change. Uh, moving forward into this next year, once I get the book finished, I'm going to use that as a stepping stone to get up in front of some crowds and say, hey, look, we've been using the same 
basic theme for building structures since the 1800s. If we want to see lasting change, we have to be that change. Now, I can provide all the proof in the world. I can lead a horse to the water, but the horse is going to have to choose a drink. So, Absolutely, you know, and I love this the whole idea of change. I think it's Gandhi that's got the, the phenomenal quote of be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. I love the fact that you're trying to take this forward and taking it on a mission, and you know, it's a tall order. But it's going to have to have take somebody who's been kicked in the teeth by life and still standing, you know, to to be the guy to to lead the charge, man. So so good on you. Good but, on. Um, you. It's I've had a few kicks in the teeth. <laughs> Luckily, I haven't haven't lost them yet. But I look back at my life and even studying mitigation times where I didn't implement mitigation for myself and had major loss lost a marriage due to lack of situational awareness of what was going on in the marriage because I was so focused on this vision. I co-founded a company back in 2012 and due to lack of mitigation, completely lost everything, lost my house, lost the company, lost the car, the whole works. So I've had a few really hard knocks lessons that <laughs> helped drive home what I'm trying to present to people now. Well, you know, I was writing an article the other day, and I just came across my own thought process, and this is just something I wrote down that I'm really, really embracing in my life, is success is not about the stuff you have. It's more about the things you've overcome. And I think if you continue to embrace that, you know, you're overcoming all these things and all these obstacles, whether it's mindset, your business, life, and everything else, that as long as you keep overcoming those challenges in life, dude, you've got, you've got a fun ride ahead of you. Tall mountain to climb, but a fun ride. <laughs> it's, I'm okay with a tall mountain. You know, I haven't found anything on this planet yet that has convinced me it's ever worth giving up. So I don't foresee that ever happening. That's awesome. Well, man, I, I got to tell you, I really enjoyed having you come on here and, and sharing your journey and sharing your ride. And, you know, I got, I got mad respect for you, bud. I mean, you've fought – many battles and you're still kicking and still running. I, I hope you're proud of yourself in that aspect because you should be. Thank um, you. And it's going to be fun to continue to watch your journey and see how big you go with all this. And, you know, one of these days I'll get to go, Hey, you know what? I know that dude. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. You know, um, and likewise. <laughs> thanks brother. Well, here's how I like to wrap up the show and I do stump some people with this. So stand by. If you were going to leave the champions, the audience that listen to this show, with a quote, a phrase, a mantra, something they can take with them on their journey, especially if they're going through the dark time in their life, what would be that quote, phrase, mantra saying you would say, remember this? What has always sustained me in the darkest of times was something that Churchill said. And people may laugh at me for this, but it is the one thing that I literally have at times written on my arms, written on the walls of my house, written on my mirrors, because it is that important to me. And what Churchill said was, never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. That's awesome. Brother, you keep rocking and rolling, man. It's going to be fun to continue to watch you rise, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Donnie. Appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to Donnie's Success Champions podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our current guest today, or if you'd like to hear stories from our other guests on the show, come hang out with us on our website at successchampspodcast.com. I really appreciate you tuning in. If you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can catch me at Donnie at DonnieBovine.com. Kevin and I have a lot of fun each week recording these episodes and sharing our best thoughts and ideas with you all. Man, we're just proud to to have you guys as listeners always tuning in. And we really appreciate the messages. We get the DMs, the emails, and the likes from you guys with questions and ideas for future shows. And that just means the world to us. We really are changing how the world networks. We've poured our heart and soul into Success Champions Networking, and it continues to grow. So if you haven't checked out a chapter and you're looking for a mastermind group of pure, absolute badasses that understand that giving introductions are way more powerful than referrals, go to successchampionnetworking.com and request a visit. And thanks for being you. Thanks for being a champion of your success, because that's what it means to be a success champion.